At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. This stumbling together is how we live out the truths of the gospel in community each day. As we look to the next generation, we are trusting God to use our Riverview Church family to be a great blessing to our community in Lansing and beyond. We are committed to loving like Jesus as we dream and pray about the future. With our renewed core values, we are looking to take some significant steps over the next two years, from increasing our staff with young and diverse leaders, improving our kids and student spaces, planting more churches, and developing a new missional fund for RIV communities to serve our neighborhoods, cities, and towns. These dreams happen as we join together as a church family. So we're asking you three questions. Would you join a RIV community? Where do you plan to be present missionally? And what do you plan on giving financially? Would you pray and consider being a part of this two-year commitment as we entrust our plans to God, pray for lives to be changed, and equip and empower the next generation? Well, good morning. Snowy, cold morning uh, to you. It's beginning to feel a lot like hypothermia. So um, good to be with you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Riverview Church. Uh, week four of a series we're calling Entrust, and trust being defined as committing to one another with confidence. We're gleaning from the New Testament, uh, from the early church, and even some of Riverview's past as we are now 45 years old. This morning, uh, in a minute, on the front side, we're going to do something atypical, uh, then we'll work out the teaching. So let me kind of pick us up where we left off last week, jog our memory, uh, bring people on board if you weren't here with us. There's been a guiding text in this series, First uh, Timothy 6, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing his understudy, Timothy. Timothy is pastoring um, in Ephesus, and this is what he says to Timothy to say to the people. Instruct them, that's the church, to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Now you heard it from the video as uh, we were getting rolling here that as a church we are looking to the next generation. Uh, We want our church to be a blessing. Uh, not just even to our immediate area, but to the world beyond. We want to see lives changed. Uh, We want to see, particularly the young, get the torch passed to them. And we want to see the next generation empowered. Uh, If you were with us last week, you might remember how Noel cast vision for our dreams, specifically over the next couple years, that we have uh, some, some strategic thinking around staffing, new positions for young and diverse leaders, how we want to fund both local and global missions, emphasize church planning better, our care ministries, renovate some space for our RIV kids and our student ministry spaces as well. Pay down the mortgage of the West Side venue while we're at it. And if everything shakes out the way that we hope, it would be so cool to create a missional fund where our RIV communities could essentially apply for grants to go out and to bless the community in very tangible ways. And so today, 
across our venues. Uh, we're asking folks to, to commit just by filling out a, a survey. Um, know that the pastors have been thinking and praying uh, for months. Uh, uh, earlier this fall, uh, we huddled together and we made our own commitments, went to our board, um, and, and they committed as well. And so as was teed up last week, we wanted to give everybody uh, just a week to think and pray over this stuff um, and pause today and take a step of faith Together. So if you're here, and even as Tom mentioned giving the announcements, if you're just visiting, um, this is not for you. Uh, if you're just checking out Riv, hi, welcome. You don't have to do anything. Um, but uh, we still want to invite you to do two things. One, that you would pray that you would pray with us, that you would pray for us, that you would pray not even just for this church, but for the capital C church, the church at large. And secondly, that you would be the kind of person that invests in the local church. And you remember that even if you move away and you find yourself someplace else, that the gospel would be advancing. For those of us who call Riv home, um, whenever we're, we're challenged to, to give or to uh, lean in, invest that kind of way, the guiding principles are always joy, and zeal, not shame, not guilt, not comparison, just responding in faith with what God has given us. And so if you're not there yet, or if you've already filled out the, the, the survey, uh, feel free just to sit back and pray. But what we're going to do very practically um, is we're going to just have an opportunity to share uh, the input of what we're thinking. So you go ahead, not rude, pull out your, your glowing device if you'd like. Your smartphone would be very, very handy. Um, and if, if you got the um, Entrust card, the smaller card, there is a QR code. It's an image. You scan it with your camera, and it takes you to the internet webs, which are found, um, I believe, on computers. I, I think I have that right. Or if you, you want to do this a little bit in the, like, the old school version, and by that I mean like 18 months ago, uh, you can just go to rivchurch.com slash entrust, E-N-T-R-U-S-T, entrust. Um, and uh, we're going to put some time up on the wall in a moment, but we're just going over these three questions through this survey. Um, these are the questions that we want everybody to answer. Would you join a Riv community? Because we want to up our game communally. Where are you going to be present in the wider community, outside of the purview of the church? And thirdly, in the next two years, what do you plan on giving? After uh, we, we do that, I will pray for us, and then we will dive back into the sermon with your regularly scheduled programming. So let's do that. Let's throw uh, three minutes up on the wall. If you need a card, by the way, um, you can just wave like mad, and then somebody with an orange lanyard will come and bring you a card that you can scan, um, or again, rivchurch.com slash entrust. We got Teresa walking around uh, with some cards. So that's what we have on the docket. Three minutes, and then we will get back at it. So today we're talking uh, commitment and commitment is one of those words that can strike fear in the heart. We even wanted to uh, put in the installment that we just did here rather than having like this high stakes, emotional, weird thing, you know, and then I'm all sweaty at the end saying, well, the Lord wants you to give me a jumbo jet. None of that stuff we wanted to, we wanted to do. Um, commitment is, can, is a creepy thing. It can be mishandled, right? <clears throat> Think about it. Whether you are committing uh, to a mortgage, 
a long-term relationship, parenthood, uh, sticking to a diet, uh, starting a business. Commitments are big deals, right? There can be cost, stress, risk, and discomfort because it means that we, we modify our behavior and we stay loyal to what we're supposed to do. Uh, it, it even brings up the word obligation, right? Such that we don't always do what's easy or what we want to do. Here's the dictionary and some synonyms for good measure. Commitment. The state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, activity, or relationship. It's synonymous with dedication, devotion, allegiance, loyalty, or or faithfulness. This is an agreement. This is a pledge to do something. So for instance, um, a, a warden could make a commitment to improve conditions at the prison. A prime minister could pledge the commitment of troops to a war effort. There's always this calculation that's involved, right? And we do this because at the end of the day, we actually believe it's a benefit. That there's more gain than loss, that the effort is worth the payoff, right? It might involve sacrifice, but it involves gain. The big picture and the reason we commit is because of benefit, because you get more good than doing otherwise. Otherwise, you don't commit, right? I think a healthy marriage could be an example of this when it's done correctly. Um, You lean in necessarily to opportunity cost, I could choose me all the time, I could choose other people, but I choose this person, right? You think about it, there is eight billion people on the planet, and if you're married and you're doing it correctly, you only have one option, one valid option for flirtation, romance, and there's that genre of of hubba hubba love, I don't think that's the Greek word, but... um, You only have one person. For all of that, you close off all the other possibilities because you believe that the person that you have is worth it. You commit more rewarding than the alternative, even if it involves sacrifice. Now, this is something I know as a person that's been married uh, for, what, 16, 17 years? I should know that. It's been a while. Um, But we've had seasons. We've all had seasons like this. Specifically, I know in my own marriage, I've had a season where my commitment was very, very tested. I I, I don't mean to throw my wife under the bus, but I had to endure hardship for years on end. um, You see, uh, for for years, on a weekly basis, uh, my devotion, I guess there's just no other way to go about it than just to say I was subjected to Downton Abbey (laughs) for years on end. And as trying as it was, Still worth it. We, we made it through. But here's the thing. It's like General Hospital. That's, that's the premise of Downton Abbey, by the way. It's basically old-timey England. You raise a pinky. You take the pinky down. It's General Hospital. Anyways, let's get serious. How is commitment supposed to interact with our faith? What does it have to do with God? In a non-committal world, how can I be a committed person? How can you be a committed person? What does it mean to be a committed church? Well, here's the one-liner that's going to guide us today. God uses human commitment for divine purposes. I'll say that again. God uses human commitment for divine purposes. So what are we ultimately called to do? What is the purpose? Well, Jesus was asked about this, and he said, love God, love others. He was approached. Someone said, teacher, 
Which command in the law is the greatest? He, Jesus, said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Devotion to him. Devotion to all of his ways. This is our commitment to seek God for God. For who God is, to love love him, to honor, to glorify him, to do right by him, to commit to him. And also, Jesus adds, also to love people. Uh, There's this well-known passage, uh, Acts 2, particularly at the end, where it speaks of the healthy, thriving, growing early church, how they were devoted not just to spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines, but they were devoted to each other, that they shared their lives, they ate together, they dwelled with each other, they were there for each other. And this is fitting because Jesus said that the the world we will, will know if we are his disciples, if we love one another. Their commitment put God's love on display. This is something seriously now I I actually did experience this past week where my family and I, we we felt the love of God very tangibly because of the committed people in our our lives. Long story short, out of the blue, like the the peak of the busiest uh, part of our week, uh, my oldest had to have an emergency appendectomy. Uh, we had to stop our busy week. We had I, had I had appointments with some of you. I had Riverview meetings. And we had to just let things go in the schedule, let things drop, get to the hospital, and have a surgery we were not planning on. Thankfully, everything went smooth, and she's recovering. But it was amazing to feel the love of other believers, to say, hey, don't worry about that thing. I've got that thing. We'll meet whenever we need to. Hey, do you need coffee? Hey, do you need food? <laughs> Texts, I'm praying for you. We have, we have more offers to help than we actually need. I would still be like in a food coma before the food coma on Thanksgiving if I took everybody up on it. But just dear friends being there. Uh, my wife and I, one of our friends, like grown adult friends, um, she had the, 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 the social skills to wait for a few days till my daughter got home, and then she just came over to give my daughter flowers. Like, that's the body of Christ being the hands and feet God loves his children. He loves his children through his children. We commit to that. But when you think about it, this is kind of weird because of how powerful and who God is. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to do anything, but he chooses to use us nonetheless. We do see examples and glimpses um, in the Bible where there's miracles. People are in a jam and God's just like, here's a plague, you're out of Egypt. Let's part the sea, where God does something and it's completely a God thing, but usually he's bringing people even into those things because he typically involves human beings in his divine plans. It's odd to think, right, that God would use people like you and I for his agenda, but it's true. He invites us to be active with him, carrying out plans. Here's Philippians 2. We'll we'll dabble in Philippians a bit in our time this morning. Paul says this to the Philippians. He says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for salvation. Jesus did all the work that was necessary, but he says we we do need to work it out. He says for or because God is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God's purposes, God's will, God's work through his people. Why do we work out our salvation with reverence? because God is behind it. He's doing his work, pursuing his ends through his people. 
You ever just stop and think about that? You look around the world, you pop on the news. You see what's wrong with it. You think about what's going on in your friends' lives and you see potential. You see fractured relationships. You see disarray and you're like, you know, I I bet you God has something that he wants to do in that situation. Right? In the beginning, there was chaos, it says, and then God comes in and he, he orders chaos. He brings peace and shalom. You look around, and, and it's odd to think that God says, you know what? My people are going to do something about that. And this is good news, because if we are honest, we have commitment issues, don't we? Uh, I read this article this past week about diagnosing uh, commitment issues, and the specific focus was on romantic relationships, and um, the format, it, it, it practically functioned kind of like the Jeff Foxworthy, you might know you're a redneck if, right? That, that premise, and if you check the boxes, you're a redneck. It missed the opportunity to make that joke, by the way. Um, and it really wasn't a sleazy quiz, it was serious, but it was diagnostic, It was essentially saying, you might have commitment issues if. And as I was looking at this, I realized, man, this this actually can map on to our relationship with the church, our relationship with other Christians. So here's just a few of the, the takeaways. You might have spiritual commitment issues if you spend a lot of time questioning why you're in the relationship. If you resist making future plans with the relationship because you don't want to be tied down because there might be better options. If investing in the relationship makes you feel trapped. If you are emotionally unaffected and you don't follow through on what you say you'll do, you might have commitment issues. If you constantly what if. If you resist being vulnerable and open to changing stubborn behavior and thought patterns, if you are unresponsive to communication and requests, you might have commitment issues. Hopefully I didn't make a car ride home uh, colder than it already uh, had to be, but you're welcome. Yet since God uses human commitment for divine purposes, a lot is at stake, and I just want to take a very quick survey. It's very reductive. I could say more, um, but I want to start in the Old Testament and, and just kind of move forward because God's projects involve people. One such project is the construction of the temple. God was making a house, and there was a priesthood that attended at that temple, and this was sacred for a lot of reasons. Uh, this, this was the place where God's glory dwelt where people could encounter him. One shrewd observer has referred to it as like the Wi-Fi hotspot of God's presence where God would meet people. God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to remove our sin, to deal with our sin, atone for it so that we can dwell with him. So much of Old Testament life centered around the temple, temple worship, temple practices, being in the presence of God. There's many psalms that speak of, of, of praise at the temple or ascending uh, a psalm of ascents. That's when they were going up and they were worshiping in the presence of God together. Um, and so Solomon's temple, this is the first temple that was built in Jerusalem um, in the late 900s BCE, David commissioned his son Solomon to build the temple. And this is what he says in First Chronicles 28. Realize, realize now that the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. That's a pretty straightforward line, but think about it. To realize that you, a human, will build a sanctuary for God Almighty. Who doesn't need you to do that? 
like heaven is his footstool, like he, you know, he just lays back and relaxes on the Alps. Uh, he's outside of matter and time, and you're going to build a house for him. Be strong and do it. This is deliberate work. Planning was involved. This employs laborers, artisans. They, they keep at it for over 60 years. Why was God doing this? God was like, I, I, oh, I, I need a couch to stay at. No, that's not why he was doing that. Spiritually dead, morally corrupt, weary, hurting people need the giver of life. They need someone perfect in power. They need a lover of their souls. They need a healer. This missionary God wanted to connect people with himself. And moreover, he didn't want to just build a house. He wanted to build a priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament, and really, if you look even across other religions, like the notion of a priest is a very sacred spot. That's a very sacred role, to be a, to be a priest, set apart, holy, other people who didn't do what everybody else did so that they could connect people and help people encounter God. God's building a priesthood. Some people mistakenly say, well, in the Old Testament, God wanted a building, but now he wants a people. In the Old Testament, he did want a building, in the Old Testament, he did want a people as well. And priests have a role to play. They do stuff. They, they, they minister. They are intermediaries between a holy God and sinful people. They are instruments of God to bridge that gap. That was God's Old Testament mission. What happens in the New Testament moving forward? What's God's current mission? Well, he still wants a house and a priesthood. The particulars have changed, but... The constant main things remain. In 1 Peter 2, Peter tells his readers, by the way, all of his readers, all of the Christians, the scattered people about in the first century, that they're, building, they're being built up themselves into a spiritual house. He says this, verse 5. You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. This maps onto us, y'all. Individuals, we are living stones, being built up together, being made into a house. Now, this is not a literal house. This is not about brick and mortar, right? This is a, this is a under the new covenant. This is God dwelling with his people not in a building, but with his people. And because this is a spiritual house, he's doing spiritual things with his people. He tells his audience there in Peter that they are made alive, that we are made alive, but we're not just made alive for us. We're made alive for other people. And so when we are there for one another in difficult times, when we send encouraging texts, when we share our hope, when you are there, um, when, when someone is mourning or grieving, when you are encouraging someone when they're down and out, when you're speaking hard truths, when you're even serving on a Sunday morning, or you're not even hearing this sermon right now because you're serving at Riv Kids, telling kids about their creator, you are being a priest. You're being a minister. Then and now, sacred priests have a duty to connect people with God. But what happens, this is unlike the Old Testament, where there was only an elite class. Now we are all, because of Jesus, are made clean. Because of Jesus, now we are all set apart. So we do a lot. But before we uh, get a big head about it, let's, let's, let's remember what's really going on. Who's the foundation of the house? Who's building the house? Who is the high priest over the priesthood? Jesus said... 
I will build my church. Jesus is building the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Through the power of his spirit, he is the builder. He is the high priest. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation so that every tongue, tribe, and people would hear the good news. And it's ultimately his commitment to the building that makes the building project successful. And it's so successful that he says, "Um, I'm kicking down the gates of hell as I'm doing it. This is not a posture of retreat. So this means that as we do anything, all honor is due to him because all power comes from him, yet he still invites us into his work because God uses human commitment for divine purposes. So one question that we should have is, how might we respond when we see such commitment? Right? There's a lot of, lot of directions we could go. We could, we could what if about what I did do and I'm proud of it or what I didn't do or compared to somebody else, I, didn't, I wonder, we look so horizontally. What, what do we do? Do we have to look up in God, at God and wonder how he feels about it? Well, we don't. Um, it's fitting. Horizontally to look with gratitude and vertically to look with praise when we see this. The case in point is the Apostle Paul with the Philippians. Now, the context was he is in Rome. He's kind of in a bad way. He's writing either from a prison cell or house arrest at this point. And he wrote to thank them for a financial gift that they sent through a faithful guy named Epaphroditus. He went above and beyond to help Paul in his missionary work in planting churches. And so Paul wrote this letter, which has great theology in it, in part simply to thank them. There's a a warmth to it and how he speaks to them. And and while being careful not to read ourselves too much into the text, we need to make sure that we we, we don't miss what the text actually has for us. I I want us just to read into this. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. And I want you just to keep you in mind as we hear from the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says to a faithful church. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on till completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you priests because I have you in my heart and you are all our partners, partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's Paul saying to them and uh, vicariously to us, God loves you. He sees your commitment. Jesus has affection for you. He is actually committed to you long before you were ever committed to him. Paul told them that God sees their commitment, that they were there for Paul, honestly, through thick and thin. When he was successful, when he's planting churches and things are thriving, or when he is in shackles, uh, essentially awaiting his execution, they're there in his corner. But he's not only saying that God sees us in our commitments, but that he says God grows us through our commitments. That that maturation occurs through gospel partnership. 
Jesus started the work. Jesus is solid. So that work is going to flourish. It's going to continue. He's building his work and he's not done. He wasn't done with Philippi. I don't believe he's done with, with Riverview. But what he is going to do is he's going to accomplish his work through his people so that at his return, it's done. It's accomplished. And so even as we're going here, I don't want this to be lost. Um, I, I want you all, on, on behalf of, of Riv's elder team, just to hear thank you and that we love you, that, that, you, that serving and honor, this, this capacity is, is just such a privilege. Um, we, 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 just, we see your loyalty. We see your maturation, you using and flexing your spiritual gifts, trying to discover what God wants, trying to fight the good fight. We are so grateful for you giving your, your time, your, your talent, your treasure, your gospel partnership. But above all, as Paul says to the Philippians, we're not just thankful for what you do. We're not just thankful for what you bring to the table. We're thankful for you. You do nothing else. We are thankful for you. So let's wrap uh, with three general applications that will help us be committed people. If we're going to be committed people, three thoughts. Number one, know that Jesus is committed. It starts with him. We might have commitment issues. He doesn't. He committed to us because, well, that's what we needed, right? First and foremost. So think of kind of like the traditional scenario in like marriage. Guy commits to the girl. He, he kneels and he's got the ring. What do you say, gal? Right? Let's get married, right? He's basically saying, I'm committed to you first. How do you respond, right? Uh, but Christ didn't just kneel and, and pony up some money for something shiny. He, he hung on a cross. He paid with his blood. He went first. He was all in. He committed and he is committed to following through with salvation, forgiveness, eternity, a purpose in life, and more and more and more. Know that Jesus is committed. But to be a committed person, secondly, commit to Jesus. Respond to that offer. Committing to Christ. That's like some church speak. We hear, oh, they committed to Christ. Or back in this time of my life, I committed to Jesus. Right, uh, This is helpful because when we believe the good news of the gospel, that our God proactively committed to non-committal people, that he rescues us from sin, from where we have broken our commitments to him, broken our commitments to others. And that's why like, the, the bar of sin is it's so tangible for all of us. It's, it's, it's not something that it's just like, oh, I occasionally did this or that wrong. Anytime we don't perfectly love him with everything or love others as ourselves, like we're out of bounds most of the time, but yet God loves us and commits to us and he rescues us from the penalty of sin, from Satan, from death. He renews us, he redeems us, and then he gives us the power to commit to him. And remember, as you're thinking about this, why do we commit in the first place? For benefit. For gain. Committing to Jesus gives you gain. You're better off. What do you get? You get God himself. You get the greatest treasure there is. God himself. The greatest gift you and I could ever receive is God. Not the gifts, but the giver of the gifts. God Thirdly, uh, to be a committed person, commit to the local church, 
and to do it for the long haul. Whether it's RIV or not, whether you are here or you move, commit to the local church. This is Jesus' project. Um, I, I just can't help but think where we would be right now if the people who came before were non-committal. I don't think we'd be here right now, right? But we had people who came before and they were at it for the long haul. And I don't just mean 45 years of Riverview. I mean the people who came before them who were committed for the long haul and those who preceded them and et cetera going back 2,000 years. They built the household of God. They seized their place as priests in a priesthood for the long haul. I would encourage you all to do that. Figure out what your spiritual gifts are, what your wiring is, what your passions are, because when you go after it, you just might be accomplishing God's purposes through what you are up to. It could be a liaison between God and people. I'm gonna conclude simply by praying Paul's prayer to the Philippians over us all. Paul said this, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.